Calm. That was aggressive. Calm. This was nicer. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Dirty Talk podcast. I'm Rain. And I'm Chris. And I have good taste in music. Generally, yes. I'm not sold on Neutral Milk Hotel. I'm still working on you with Neutral Milk Hotel. Eventually, you will get the genius that is Neutral Milk Hotel. You've been saying that for a few years now. I have also been telling you to check out some other bands over the last few years that we've been hanging out, and you have really enjoyed them. This is true. I've introduced you to bands like Slayer. Reintroduced. I'd heard of Slayer before. You had never been to a Slayer concert, but mm. since you have been hanging out with me, you have been to three Slayer concerts. Yes. Here's the thing is that Slayer only does one song. One song. Rain of blood from the sky, altar of death. They're a great band. All their songs sound different if you can hear the subtleties in their songs. Subtleties. All I'm saying is that I have now turned you into a Slayer fan. Uh, I'm a moshing fan, and Slayer facilitates moshing. I like any situation where people can consensually get in a group and shove each other violently with great respect. Okay, fine. Yes, Slayer is one of the better bands to go and mosh to. In my opinion, they are the best speed metal band of all time. I really like the moshing part of Slayer. I've also introduced you to Soul Coughing. Reintroduced, yes. Sorry, reintroduced. You had heard these bands before, but you hadn't appreciated them until I said, hey, here's this thing. This is what you can appreciate about them. And now you really like them. This is a fact. I also reintroduced you to Tool. <gasps> yes, I am shocked that it took me this long to truly appreciate and revel in the genius that is Tool. And I'm convinced that if there is an afterlife, it's hanging out in a comfortable bed listening to Tool for eternity. Tool sounds like heaven to me. Like it's so ethereal. I can't believe that I heard Tool when I was younger and it didn't resonate to me to the level it does now because it's it's mind-blowing. I can't get enough of Tool. At this point, our listeners might be wondering what all this has to do with the title of this podcast. Yeah, what does all of this have to do with the title of this podcast? Because I'm not sure if you've checked, but the title of this podcast is, um... Come. Shall I explain what this has to do with the title of this podcast? Please do. One of my favorite Tool songs is Prison Sex. And one of my favorite lines from Prison Sex is... When I'm looking for temporary sanity, I always want to make sure that my hands are coated in fecal matter, blood, and ejaculate, yes. A little while ago, we decided that in honor of your newfound love of Tool, we would do a three-part series. The first episode, focusing on shit. The second episode, focusing on blood. And the third episode, focusing on cum. And when you think about it, these three substances have really shaped the course of human history and us as a species. It's true that these three substances have transcended all cultures and times. Ready to get started with episode number three. 
Come! Come! And here we go. Hello, everyone. Are you ready for some cum? Well, even if you're not, it's coming at you. (laughs) Fast and hard. Whoa, fast and hard. Okay. This is the final part of our three-part series of a podcast arc dealing with bodily fluids. You've had shit, you've had blood, and now it's time to come. Unless you have your vagina locked up in a barred tower surrounded by a moat filled with bloodthirsty piranha, a practice known as mate guarding, there is always a risk that other sperm can get into your vagina and make their own babies. They're sneaky. Sneaky, sneaky <laughs> sperm. Sneaky like that. They're always trying to get into your vagina. Yeah, <laughs> that's a fact. Just like those kids are always after my lucky charms. <laughs> yeah, they want your lucky charms. That's a little creepy. Do go on. <laughs> no more kids, I hope. Right? That's the whole point. No kids. Well, if we're talking about cum, then of course there's going to be kids in the equation because you can't have kids without cum. This is true. (laughs) It simply isn't practical long term to keep your vaginas locked up behind piranha-filled moats. Mate guarding gets in the way of practical and day-to-day living, and chastity belts are a nightmare in a multitude of ways. Don't even get me started on how much the TSA would object to one. Oh, you have enough issues with that already. (laughs) The TSA love me, and I'm not even trying to travel in a chastity belt. Not to mention all the issues with rust. Oh, yeah, that really, um, it's a UTI just waiting to happen. Or tetanus. Yeah, yeah. The deep and driving desire for reproductive success has wide-ranging consequences on all levels of human behavior. Our sexual attitudes, emotions, and responses all revolve around this desire. Most male behavior is an attempt to either prevent a woman from exposing his sperm to warfare, or, if he fails in this, to give his sperm the best chance of winning that war. The shape of the human penis is one of the many tools in his arsenal. I shall elaborate on this human penis-shaped tool. (laughs) Please do. I've got some interesting, interesting stuff coming up for you. A common theory proposed by the book Sperm Wars by Robin Baker was the concept of kamikaze sperm. Have you heard of this one? I remember hearing something years ago. I was under this assumption that men did create different kinds. Some of them were there specifically to fertilize the egg, and there were other ones that were there to battle rival sperm. I remember hearing vaguely a long time ago that men would produce warrior sperm that would hang out around the opening of the cervix and even live for days in the little crevices inside the cervix waiting for other enemy sperm to come along so they could attack them, preventing them from getting up and fertilizing the egg, and that men produced more of these guardian sperm in the days leading up to leaving for an extended period of time so that they would sit there and basically babysit the virtue of the woman. That's some very elaborate and crafty sperm. Did they have little tiny swords and spears? (laughs) of course. The concept of kamikaze sperm is the idea that only a very few and select percentage of the sperm, the egg-getters, ever have any chance of fertilizing, and the bulk of the sperm functions to wreak havoc on any potential rival sperm. Kamikaze sperm's mission is to trip up the competition. While this theory has since been discredited, scientists actually put sperm in uh, petri dishes and waited in vain for a battle, and nothing happened. Scientists are always up to crazy things. Well, we had them shenanigans <laughs> like that, counting rat boners, oh, waiting oh, to yes. see, waiting to see if sperm battle in petri dishes. Yeah. Yeah. Did they use their own? Be like, yo, Bob, <laughs> we're gonna both come in this dish and we're gonna have them fight it out. Do they circle jerk into the dish? Possibly. Things get crazy with the scientists. Jimmy over there in physics is making odds. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I was a little disappointed that a vagina is not a miniature battle of Thermopylae's in action, but that's what happens in the course of research. Sometimes you find out that an existing concept that you had isn't actually correct. Oftentimes when you do the research, that is the case. And we do bring a lot of research to the table with these podcasts. But knowledge changes over time and things that we held to be true just a few years ago are rapidly changing. The pace of scientific discovery is exponential and it's really difficult to keep up with all the science. Indeed. The sperm that wins the battle to fertilize the egg wins the war. All that matters is getting to create the next generation. It is the genes of those among us today who produce the most descendants that will characterize future generations. Whether we know it or not, we are all programmed to try and pursue reproductive success, and that programming shapes so much of our actions and behavior. Having success in this war is no easy feat. The average man and woman will have penetrative sex about two to 3,000 times in their lifetime. So uh, I'm, um, I'm not average. <clears throat> you're an overachiever is what you're trying to say. <laughs> Fact. <laughs> and yet, even without modern contraception, most people have fewer than seven children. This works out roughly to around 5,000 occasions to produce each child. That is a lot of attempts to get the desired outcome. And even if your conscious brain is claiming that a child is not the desired outcome of your sexual actions, the determined drumbeat of thousands of successful generations behind you beg to disagree. When you pull back the thin veneer of civilization and intelligence, the drive for reproductive success ends up being at the base of a lot of our actions. Sex and cum are some of the most powerful things in the human experience and have impacted and affected every aspect of it. After all, none of us would be here without an orgasm to bring us into existence. True story. With that whole concept of kamikaze sperm, you brought up the possibility of them having little micro swords. How would one sperm fight off another? They would just bump randomly into the other ones trying Did, to knock them off course the as far as i can tell the theory of the kamikaze sperm was that they just formed a protective wall the elite egg getters are on the other side you have the chance to fertilize the egg and then the kamikaze sperm are basically cannon fodder and they're there to, to form a wall it or would they just be, plug up the hole they just make it so you can't get any competitor sperm couldn't get past them mm -hmm. but discounted theory doesn't uh -huh. matter what Bob says for the odds, doesn't matter how many scientists you have jerk off into a Petri dish. <laughs> Having their sperm fight it out. I might have to do an experiment with this. I'll have to obtain some other sperm and then throw it in a jar with mine and see who shall remain the victor. Yeah, you do that. Have fun acquiring that other sperm and sticking it in a jar. Two come enter, one come leave. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> but um bump <laughs> Going back to one of the things you mentioned about the competitiveness for reproductive success. Very competitive. You drew upon the shape of the penis. I did. And obviously we can't talk about cum without the topic of dicks entering the conversation, right? Because the two are fairly synonymous. Ejaculate and penises tend to go hand in hand. I can't object to that. There is something odd about the human male penis. What's interesting about the human penis is its relative size compared to all other primates. For you size queens out there, and for those currently engaged in a dick measuring competition, take heart because human junk is massive compared to the rest of the primate world. Massive, huge, girthy, substantial. Even our closest living relative, the chimpanzee, doesn't come anywhere close to our healthy endowment. After correcting for overall mass and body size, 
chimp penises are about half the size of human penises in both length and circumference. That's a significant difference in size. It is. Additionally, we are gargantuan compared to our hulking friend the gorilla, which has one of the smallest penises in the primate kingdom. Given how large it is, it is very surprising. Besides the size difference, the human penis has a relatively large glands and more pronounced coronal ridge than many other primates. So why have our dicks evolved in this way? Ah, uh, is it aliens? Before you say it was aliens. It was aliens. It's not aliens. I'm pretty sure it was aliens. We already went over this in the blood podcast. Aliens. Nothing to do with alien genitalia. You're very close-minded. According to evolutionary biology, everything about us has developed to provide some sort of survival advantages. So what is the benefit of our shape and size? To get the sperm deeper in the vaginal vault? As it turns out, it is a fairly well-designed semen displacement device. Oh, like a flesh shovel. Yes. Maybe you can just call it an SDD for a semen displacement device. It is an incredible SDD. Now you may be wondering, isn't a dick's whole job to deposit semen in the vagina? That's kind of what I thought, yes. It is, but in the spirit of competition, and if evolution is about anything, it's about competition, since there is competition for the sperm getting to the egg... You want to make sure that you have displaced as much of your rival's seed before you release your own in situations where a woman could be mating with multiple partners. To test this semen displacement theory, in 2002, evolutionary psychologists from the State University of New York at Albany devised a test. To facilitate these tests, they did what any scientist would do they went to their local adult novelty store and purchased an artificial vagina, some lube, and dildos of various lengths, coronal ridge sizes, and a control phallus with no coronal ridge at all. This was right after they were done counting rat boners and doing sperm battles in petri dishes. We will get to the rat boners in just a moment. Oh, sorry, I get a, you know, I, I, don't, I don't have a thing for rat boners. Don't look at me like that. I could get you a job counting rat boners if you want. Okay. For those of you who don't know about the counting of the rat boners, go and listen to our Alice Little and the Mystery of the Sex Island Aphrodisiac podcast, and you will have an earful of rat boners. Um, I don't know that I want rat boners in my ears. After they collected all their supplies from the adult novelty store, they then proceeded to concoct artificial semen from water and cornstarch for their test cocks to displace. After trying different mixtures of cornstarch and water, they finally arrived at a recipe which was judged by three, this is very important, three sexually experienced males, as they stated, because you don't want sexually inexperienced males judging your artificial cum. It was judged by three sexually experienced males to be the best approximate viscosity and texture of human seminal fluid. If you want to try this at home and create your own fake spunk, go get a pen and paper right now. Get ready to write down the recipe. Mix seven milliliters of water at room temperature with 7.16 grams of cornstarch. Then stir for five minutes. You've got yourself some good fake cum. Once they finally had all their sex toys and fake cum together, they were ready to roll up their sleeves and get to sciencing. I warn you, though, this next part gets a little... racy. For each trial, the vagina was weighed after applying several drops of water-based lubricant to the vaginal opening and inserting 2.6 milliliters of simulated semen 
into the vagina with a syringe. <gasps> After being loaded with semen, the vagina was stretched and held against a fiberglass base positioned at an angle of 45 degrees, while a phallus was fully inserted into the vagina and withdrawn. Upon withdrawing a phallus to within 25 millimeters from the opening, the vaginal wall below the glands was pinched close to prevent the semen from flowing back into the vagina. The amount of semen pulled to the outer portion of the vagina was then removed and the vagina was weighed. The results of these tests showed that when a penis with a coronal ridge was fully inserted into the vagina, rather than forcing the sperm over the coronal ridge, the semen flowed back under the penis around the frenulum and then collected over the top of the anterior shaft behind the coronal ridge. So basically you thrust into the competing semen, it goes down under across the frenulum, which is that little bit of skin at the bottom of the dick. I'm sure you're familiar with your frenulum, the friend. And it comes back over and then gets trapped behind the coronal ridge. Furthermore, it was found that penises with a coronal ridge displaced a whopping 91% of the artificial spunk compared to the non-ridged control, which only was able to displace 35%. 91% is substantial. That's crazy effective. Yeah. They were also able to demonstrate that higher thrusting depths contributed to increased displacement. The deeper you got into the vagina, of course, the more of the rival cum you would be able to reach and the more of it you would be able to displace. What's interesting about this last finding is that we may be innately aware that deeper penetration leads to greater semen displacement. An anonymous study of over 600 college students found that many sexually active males and females reported deeper and more vigorous thrusting when in-pair sex occurred under conditions related to an increased likelihood of female infidelity. So unconsciously, I guess we know, if I haven't had sex with you for a while and there's a possibility you might have been messing around with somebody else, I'm going to thrust deeper and harder. I may think that it's just because I'm feeling passionate because I haven't seen you in a while, but possibly instinctually i'm just trying to rid your vagina of as much competitive sperm as possible with my coronal ridge which has been shown to get about 91 percent of that rival spunk science at this point you may be wondering if the human penis is such a well-developed semen displacement device sdd wouldn't this work against the owner's own biological imperative? I was actually wondering that, to be honest. Right, because you don't want to do all this work of plunging out your rival's jizz and replace it with your own just to end up displacing what you've just delivered and burning all the energy that you've just used and not allocating your sperm to its best use because it's a finite resource. As it turns out... It appears that nature has adapted to this, lending further evidence to the theory that our dicks are well-tooled semen sump pumps. Three candidate mechanisms that scientists point to which diminish self-semen displacement after ejaculation include penile hypersensitivity, loss of an erection, and the refractory period. I've encountered all three of those quite frequently. It is true that after a male ejaculates, the penis becomes incredibly sensitive, even to the point that continued thrusting can become uncomfortable. Oh, I know. And I know you like to exploit this condition 
in a very sadistic way where after somebody comes, you mm-hmm. like to grab on to mm-hmm. their dick mm-hmm. and continue rubbing it mm-hmm. viciously. Viciously. Torturously. Yup. Even as the person writhes in agony. Yeah, but then I also cackle at them and point. <laughs> because you're, you're such a loving giver in that way. I'm a fucking sadist. What are you talking about? <laughs> it is also true that the erection is lost fairly quickly after ejaculation. Roughly half of its rigidity is gone within the first minute after orgasm. In this way, nature is essentially forcing you to stop thrusting and making your dick go limp, therefore preventing you from being able to undo your own hard work by displacing your own seed. It is then theorized that the refractory period is hardwired into males to prevent them from copulating again with a receptive partner that they have just inseminated. Around the topic of the refractory period, scientists have discovered evidence of what they call the Coolidge effect. This effect gets its name from an old joke about President Calvin Coolidge. Oh, thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen. You've been a great crowd. Oh, no, you're too kind. All right, all right. Stop me if you've heard this one. The president and Mrs. Coolidge are separately being shown around an experimental government farm. When Mrs. Coolidge came to the chicken yard, she noticed that a rooster was mating very frequently. She asked the attendant how often that happened and was told... Dozens of times each day. Mrs. Coolidge said, Tell that to the president when he comes by. (laughs) Upon being told, the president asked, Same hen every time? The reply was, Oh no, Mr. President. A different hen every time. And of course the president says, Tell that to Mrs. Coolidge. Oh, thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much. Try the fish. It won't get any fresher. You've been a great audience. Have a good night. hi What research suggests is that the refractory period is partner-specific. Once you've inseminated a partner, it's difficult to gain an erection to re-inseminate that partner for a period of time typically lasting anywhere from 30 minutes to 24 hours, depending on age and other factors. What is speculated is that this is a natural adaptation to prevent the male from displacing and competing with the sperm he has already deposited. However, if a new mating partner becomes available, the refractory period quickly disappears. Studies have been conducted where they take one very lucky male lab rat and place him in a cage with numerous female rats in heat. Those scientists, man, I'm telling you, they can't get away from rat boners. Go on. He immediately began to mate with all the female rats repeatedly until he eventually became exhausted. The females continued nudging and licking him, yet he did not respond. When a novel female was introduced into the box, he became alert and began to mate once again with the new female. He rose to the occasion. Of course, as any heroic man would. Dun-dun-dun-dun! As mentioned before, I just love how most of my research for these stories for the podcast often just comes down to very serious, white-coated scientists (laughs) spending their days and hard-won grant money fixedly watching rats fuck in a myriad of ways in the name of science. They do. They really do. I did find a ton of other research on this subject, research about the effects of circumcision on semen displacement, also what's called piggybacking as a byproduct of this. There's so much research that I found around all the stuff that I can't address it here, so we are going to do another Dirty Talk After After Hours hours. follow-up episode 
on the Come podcast because I know you had some other Come research that you didn't know quite where to fit it in in this one. So we will be doing a dirty talk after hours. We had more Come than we knew what to do with. It's often the case. And you're also often left having to deal with it. Somebody has to do the dishes. If you do like this podcast and the other ones, join us for the Dirty Talk After Hours episode. It will be another- Even more cum. I was going to say another great big earful of cum, but yes. <laughs> I think they prefer my version to cum in their ears. I hope that you join us for that Dirty Talk After Hours, available exclusively for all our Patreon supporters. Because our Patreon supporters are awesome. Thank you. Previously on Dirty Talk After, after hours. hours. Yeah, you ready for this final volley? I'm ready. All right, let's, let's do, do it. All right, hunker down. Oh, shit. It looks like they're regrouping. Ah! What are they doing over there? Oh, crap. Ah! Incoming! After Hours, available exclusively on Patreon every Monday morning. If you do want to get access to the Dirty Talk After Hours podcast, you can get it in one of two ways. You can follow Rain DeGray on Patreon at patreon.com backslash Rain DeGray. You have to type it out exactly. I'm not searchable because I'm naughty. She has been blacklisted. She's in the adult ghetto. I'm a bad, bad girl. Or you can head on over to our brand spanking new shiny Dirty Talk podcast Patreon, which is patreon.com backslash Dirty Talk podcast. Either way, if you pledge at $5 a month, you will get exclusive weekly access to the Dirty Talk After Hours podcast. Unleash a fountain of youth upon your skin. Unleash the power of Faisal. Discover the beauty secret of celebrities, fashionistas, and hopeful YouTube stars. Discover the potency of Faisal. Now you can indulge at home in a beauty treatment for which upscale New York spas charge hundreds of dollars. Now you can indulge in the skincare magic of Faisal. Faisal is all natural, 100% renewable, non-GMO, fair trade, hyper-locally produced, and vegan. Faisal is packed full of protein, zinc, magnesium, calcium, potassium, fructose, and the powerful antioxidant Spermine to give your face a radiant frosted glow. Don't believe us. Try it for yourself risk-free 
and you will see why Facial is the finest beauty treatment available today. Pumped hot, right from the scrotum to your waiting face, consisting of only the finest man-made ingredients. Act now, and you can supersize your order for no extra charge with our limited-time Bukaki offer. Call today. Eager gentlemen are standing by. Have you ever gotten a facial? Um, it would depend on what kind of facial you're talking about. You know what industry speak for facial is. Well, <laughs> I mean, if you want to consider an eyeball as being part of one's face. Generally, eyeballs are included in the face. Yeah, I got cum in my eye. It was so horrible. Not on purpose. Quite accidentally, I got cum in my eye. And... I noticed that it had a profoundly disorienting effect. I immediately became dizzy. I felt like I was drunk. I couldn't walk in a straight line. I was having trouble thinking clearly. I was really, really out of it after I got semen in my eyeball. It was uh, for a shoot on the upper floor, and I was hanging upside down. While I was hanging upside down, that's not what led me to being disoriented. Just so you know, I've spent a lot of time upside down. I was fine. And it's not affected your brain in the slightest? Not at all. Why are you looking at me like that? You shut your face. It was accidental. I was a stray bystander. The bulk... <laughs> stray bystander? Was it friendly fire? Yeah. Yeah. I got, I got friendly fire. It was aimed for another target and some of my eyeball got in the way. And it was really, really unpleasant and horrible. And it made me think about like shoots where the whole point is to glaze the face like a donut. And I, my reaction to getting sperm in my eye was so strong. I was like, how do these girls do it and not go blind and walk into a wall? I've since then managed to avoid all cum in my eyeballs. And it's a trend I'd like to continue. Thank you. Is that why you always come to bed with goggles on? Yes, among other reasons. I was wondering about that. I thought maybe you had some sort of aquatic fetish. I have all sorts of fetishes, baby. The reason why I ask about this is because there's a lot of debate online about whether semen facials are good for your skin or not. On one side of the argument are people like Helen Gurney Brown, who is the former editor of Cosmopolitan Magazine and the author of Sex and the Single Girl. Legendary book. She's quoted as saying, spread semen over your face. It's probably full of protein, a sperm can eventually become babies, makes a fine mask, and he'll be pleased. That's yeah, hard to argue with logic like that. There's also the return of Swamp Thing star Heather Locklear, who told members of the paparazzi that her secret to looking young was spreading semen on her face, but later rescinded the statement saying it was a joke. <laughs> That's what she said. There are also some YouTube personalities, one of which is a 67-year-old woman that claims her secret to looking younger than her years is regular semen applications to her face. She claims that she learned this secret to youthful skin years ago from another woman while traveling in India. On the other side of this debate are... People who think the whole idea is perpetrated by men who are trying to convince women that their spunk is beneficial beyond being able to make some babies and want to jizz on their face like they do in porns. Come on, baby. It's good for you. <laughs> It'll make you real purdy. <laughs> oh my God. That's okay. Go on. <laughs> also, board certified dermatologists who say that semen has very limited benefits as a facial cosmetic and, in fact, might carry risks. So is there a benefit of smearing your face with the remnants from your lovemaking? I don't know. Is there? If there is, are you going to do it? Fuck yeah. For science. Uh, and benefits. What are the benefits? Give them to me. Well... Unfortunately, there has been no hard scientific studies that can shed light on this topic. 
Besides the fact that semen does contain protein, amino acids, enzymes, potassium, zinc, and antioxidants, all the evidence of its cosmetic benefits are anecdotal. In 2003, Weiss tried to get to the bottom of this question by having a man and a woman apply cum to one side of their faces and normal moisturizer to the other every day for a month. And what were the results of this hard-hitting piece of investigative journalism? The results were mixed. At the end of week four, the man reported, This has been intense. I don't think I'm going to keep it up every day, but I will use cum at least once a week on my face now. The best thing about this is that I have decided that everyone should masturbate twice a day. I really think that the world would be a better place. However... In his final verdict, he stated, You shouldn't put any kind of cream on your face. I think that this whole thing about cum being good for your skin is a myth straight men made up so women would suck their dicks more often. The store-bought cream gave me a zit, and the man-made cream was just a pain in the ass. If I had to choose a winner, I'd say the cum won by a very slim margin. At the end of week four, the woman stated, I have no doubt that I will never let cum touch my face again. It created a glaze on my cheek, then a rough patch of dead skin. I hope it doesn't take too long to get it back to normal. Her final verdict was, Cum is not good for your skin. Maybe swallowing it, but that's another experiment entirely. I would say the face cream wins hands down. Not a big fan of Bukaki, that one. No. So, mixed results from that one. The now defunct townhouse spa in New York was at one point offering spermine facials for $250 a piece. What's spermine? Spermine is an antioxidant originally discovered in human sperm. Applications of it is said to diminish wrinkles and smooth the skin. A Norwegian company seriously Their name is Bioforeskinning. (laughs) Now they're just taking the piss. Bioforeskinning created a spermine facial cream. According to the company, spermine is 30 times more effective than vitamin E and can delay the aging process by 20%. But would you still pay $250 for somebody to smear this stuff on your face? I think I'd go free and straight from the tap if you catch my drift there, my friend. You prefer the draft. I do. According to dermatologists, there may be a slight benefit of the protein in semen for the facial skin, but there are more effective products that can be used that don't carry the risks of using cum on your face. The main risk, they state, is the possibility of spreading STIs to the facial mucous membranes. It's possible to get a chlamydia infection in your eye, and herpes on the eye can cause scarring and visual problems. Nobody wants eye herpes. In all, it seems a case of your mileage will vary when attempting to incorporate some love pudding in your beauty routine. It probably won't have any sort of magical effects, but you can have a lot of fun collecting the raw materials. I want to find out just for science. Can I collect some raw materials? (laughs) Yes, after we're done recording. Yes. If you are not attempting to get pregnant, semen can be a very nerve-wracking thing indeed, something to be avoided at all costs due to the risks associated with it. Dangerous baby batter to be dodged. But before we go any further, let's take a minute to differentiate between semen and sperm. Semen comes from the Latin root word meaning to plant, and sperm comes from a root Greek word meaning seed. Plant, seed, get it? People often mistakenly use the words interchangeably one for the other, 
but they are two very different things indeed. Semen is often referred to as sperm, but sperm only comprises roughly 1-5% to of semen. Like you were referring to in the facial segment of this podcast, semen contains, in addition to sperm, amino acids, enzymes, proteins, citric acid, zinc, mucus, and more. There's a whole bunch in that load, as it were. Despite all of the headaches and heartaches that an unplanned pregnancy or STI could cause, there is a very interesting possible effect of semen that not everyone is aware of. I'm certainly aware of it. A study has shown that semen can have an antidepressant quality. Now, I did some research on this podcast, and I've, it's, it's only one study. The study was just done with college-age students, so it was a very limited sample. Other people have come out and done counter-studies, but I know what my heart and loins are voting for, which is that there is an antidepressant effect to semen. If you step back and think about it, semen acting as an antidepressant makes a lot of sense from an evolutionary perspective. It would definitely behoove us as a species to have the females of the species feel at their best when regularly exposed to semen. Such an effect would be an added boost to regular baby making, which, when you break it down, is the core of human existence. You can add what frills you want to the human experience, art, and creation of fine things, and religion. The core foundation of what we're doing is producing babies. To aid and assist in this root foundation are a million subtle different things, including the possible phenomenon that women that are regularly exposed to semen are less depressed and suicidal. Semen contains several mood-altering hormones, including testosterone, serotonin, endorphins, estrotone, which elevates mood, prolactin, which is a natural antidepressant, oxytocin, which also elevates mood, and thyroptin-releasing hormone, which is another antidepressant. That's quite a potent cocktail indeed, and goes a long way to explaining just how much some people seem to crave wallowing in that stuff. I've met people that can't get enough of it and definitely feel that it elevates and boosts their mood noticeably. By this logic, Japanese bokaki models and gangbang recipients should be some of the happiest people on the planet. I haven't seen a study for that, but I would love to see it. This same hotly debated study that suggested that women that were exposed to semen were less depressed and less suicidal also suggested that women that were exposed to semen performed better on concentration and cognitive tasks, and that women who had unprotected sex with their ex-partner and were getting regularly inseminated experienced more significant depression upon breaking up than those who are not regularly exposed to their ex's semen, and that they tend to go on the rebound faster seeking new sexual partners, which presumably would help their semen-deprived depression. It's like they get hooked on that feel-good juice and they don't want to go without. If you were to pursue this line of logic, it would also explain why gay men continue to bareback even though they know the risks associated, if there is the possibility that being exposed to semen is a mood booster, it could certainly explain a lot of behavior. Because we here at the Dirty Talk podcast pride ourselves in research, I did a lot of research for this topic, and one of the theories that was proposed is that happy-go-lucky and positive women that approach life bright-eyed and bushy-tailed also have the tendency to not use condoms, whereas 
depressed and anxious women who are more cautious and conservative are much more likely to use condoms. Once you start going down the rabbit hole of studies, you can find research that goes any which way. And I can't say for sure all I can base my concepts on are my realities. And my realities are that it definitely does work as an antidepressant. I have noticed that on days after we have sex, you tend to be in a better mood. This is a scientific fact. And you even tell me sometimes that I need to give you my Prozac. I do say that. It's true. So even without these studies, I think that you, as a sample size of one, can testify that you have indeed found that being exposed to semen has antidepressive effects. You have a giant stick of Prozac in your pants. We do have to stipulate here that we are no way insinuating that people should have unprotected sex. Nope, nope. That is something for you to decide with your partners. Let it be known that both of us are tested and we do have our methods of birth control in place. This is a personal decision that you and your partners or partner, however you choose to live your life, decide. But we don't want you coming back to us saying, well... Dirty Talk podcast said I shouldn't be using rubbers because I want to bring some more happiness into my life. Yeah, yeah. Don't quote us on that. It's a personal decision for you. We're bringing you the science. You do with it what you will. Science. This is us washing our hands. Washy wash. I wash my hands. On the flip side of the phenomenon of sperm as an antidepressant is sperm as an allergen. A semen allergy, otherwise known as seminal plasma hypersensitivity, is a fortunately rare allergy to proteins found in semen. Symptoms include redness, swelling, pain, itching, and a burning sensation. And they usually start about eh, 10 to 15 minutes after contact with semen. They can occur on any area that has had contact with semen, including the skin and face and mouth. Severe symptoms can go as far as hives, swelling, trouble breathing, or anaphylactic shock, which is a life-threatening allergic reaction. Imagine your body rejecting semen so vigorously that it becomes life-threatening. Uh, hey, uh, why are you in the ER? Oh, I got laid. Ow. Hey, everyone. This is Rain DeGray. If you want to... Keep tabs on me and check out all the cool stuff I'm doing. You can head on over to my website, raindegray.com. And while you're there, sign up for my newsletter so that you and I can stay in touch. And if you are on Twitter, check me out at either raindegray or the Dirty Talk cast. Dirty Talk podcast has a new Twitter. Just search Twitter for Dirty Talk podcast or add us at Dirty Talk cast. Oot. For those of you who are wondering, semen is vegan. I was wondering, and how is it vegan? It's an animal product. Technically, but not really. The Vegan Society, whose founder Donald Watson coined the term vegan in 1944, and is the absolute authority on all things vegan, state that they're strictly neutral on the actions of consenting adults. So they don't necessarily want to fully weigh in on whether it's vegan or not to swallow cum because that's up to the participants. However, their definition of veganism states, veganism is a way of living which seeks to exclude, as far as it is possible and practical, all forms of exploitation of and cruelty to animals for food, clothing, or any other purpose. Based on this definition and a lot of conversations around it in many online forums, as long as you're giving the sperm freely and are not exploiting the person that the sperm is coming from, then it's vegan. It's the same way that human breast milk is vegan. Oh, so exploiting is the operative term here. Yeah, vegans don't eat animal products, not because they don't love tasty, tasty meat, 
they just don't want to be exploiting the animals against their wills. If we did have a situation like in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy restaurant at the end of the universe, we have an animal that is explicitly saying, eat me. Don't worry, sir. I'll be very humane. Then it's not exploiting. It's being freely given. Mm -hmm. So if I freely give someone my seed and they choose to ingest it, they are still 100% vegan. So feel free to swallow it and lather your face with it to your heart's content. Vegan approved. The more you know. Well, that's what we have for you this time around. We shot our load <laughs> and you've drained us of some of the cum, not all the cum, because not all. like we talked about earlier, we still got plenty more built up for our special follow-up dirty talk after hours episode we have more come for you so much more <laughs> whole sack full of come i don't know if that sounds right oh, <laughs> oh my mind just went to bad places i don't want that sounds really sticky if you want access to that dirty talk after hours podcast you can join us on patreon you can go to patreon.com backslash rain to gray you have to enter in that full address because you are um, naughty, gray listed on or, the site. Or you can do the the regular Dirty Talk podcast. Or you can look for Dirty Talk podcast in the Patreon search feature because we haven't been thrown into the naughty person back alley ghetto yet. <laughs> or you can go to patreon.com backslash Dirty Talk podcast. Join either Rain's Patreon or the Dirty Talk Podcast Patreon at $5 a month and you get access to the weekly Dirty Talk After Hours podcast and a whole host of other great things. Booyah! One of the tiers for the Dirty Talk Podcast Patreon is an honorary producer credit. Ooh, that's um, exciting. It is we want to give our first honorary producer credit to Rolf Hansen and his wives. Wives, plural? Well, according to you, he's got four of them, right? Yeah, yeah, he does. He's got four wives. Rolf's a busy dude. He is one of your top Patreon supporters. He doesn't support the podcast Patreon, but it doesn't matter because he's a huge supporter for you. And we decided, even though he's not supporting the podcast directly through the podcast Patreon... He is heavily supporting you through your Patreon, and we are making him an honorary producer of the Dirty Talk podcast going forward. Ooh, that's super exciting. Have we told him yet? No, that's up to you. I'm going to tell him. I also want to throw out my challenge that I throw out every time. If you enjoy this podcast, I'm challenging you to go out and tell at least one person about it. You can share some of the strange, interesting information that we shared in this episode with you. I think it makes for great small talk banter. Be like, hey, I learned something really strange the other day about semen or blood. Or, or shit. Shit. Because I was listening to this podcast. So there's the challenge. Go out, spread the knowledge, share it with one person at least. Or two. Perhaps yeah, you three. can always share it with more. I'm just saying at least minimum one. It's a good challenge. The podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Spreaker, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, and now YouTube. What? I finally was able to go and get all the back episodes, create videos for them, and put them up on YouTube. So Dirty Talk Podcast is now... Available on YouTube for your streaming pleasure. We're YouTubers. Yeah, we are officially YouTubers now. If you do appreciate the show, do us a huge favor as well, besides sharing it with at least one person. If you could find it in your heart to go to one of those platforms, rate it, review it, it really helps other people find the show. If you think it's beneficial and you want to share the crazy knowledge that we love coming and sharing with you, please go rate it and review it on one of those platforms. Thank you ever so much in advance. So that does it for our three-part series. 
shit, blood, and cum. Oh, very messy. It was very messy and <laughs> sticky and stinky. And I think I'm going to have to take you out back and put the hose on you. <laughs> Are you going to put me away wet? No, I'll dry you off. Oh, you're such a gentleman. But uh, did you find any sort of temporary sanity in the shit, blood, and cum? I did. I really enjoyed doing this overall, I guess it's not really a story arc, but overall theme. And out of it, and the research that we were doing for it, we came up with so many great episode ideas. And I really enjoyed the process of researching all these things and learning things that I wouldn't have learned myself had I not said, okay, now I have to look into this and explore this subject. Arctic shit knives. Yeah, Arctic shit knives. What the fuck? We took blood tests. We, we know did. what we our did. blood type is now. We also okay. know what our blood type says about us. Right. That we're not descended from aliens. Yeah, no, it was not. This time it actually wasn't aliens. Maybe next time. I really enjoyed doing this overall arcing theme. And I think we're going to do it again in the future. We'll have some intertwined episodes. No matter what we do, we're still going to try and bring you the best, most researched information we possibly can about strange, disgusting, sexy, perverted, and all around odd topics. That's what we do, man. Thanks for joining us. Until next time. Bye. <laughs>